This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Often in the winter, especially around Christmas, real estate slows down, but this year might be a little different. This is Vancouver Consumer. I'm Martin Strong. And in a moment, we'll be checking in with John Carlson of 2% Realty to talk about what is turning out to be a really interesting fall and winter for real estate. Things have been on fire and it's looking like the Christmas season might be unusually busy. That's coming up. But first, some of the consumer news headlines. It's Halloween tonight. And the big question is, how are you celebrating COVID Halloween? According to a survey commissioned this fall by the Retail Council of Canada, 8 out of 10 Canadian parents say they will celebrate Halloween with their kids the way they always have. So it looks like there's going to be a lot of kids out trick-or-treating despite the pandemic. But the question is, will people be opening their doors to the little trick-or-treaters or or will they just shut out the lights? According to a new Ipsos poll, here in BC, only 20% of those asked said they would be giving out candy. If you compare that to the rest of Canada, we're on the low end. In Atlantic Canada, 30% say they'll be handing out candy. Quebec is the lowest, not surprisingly, because they've been among the hardest hit by the pandemic. Just 13% of Quebecers say they'll be handing out treats tonight. And your shopping mall might be spying on you, or at least the ones owned by the company Cadillac Fairview. They own 12 malls across Canada, including Richmond Centre and the Pacific Centre downtown. It was revealed this week that they embedded some small cameras inside the information kiosks in their malls and used facial recognition technology without any of us knowing. The company says they were just trying to analyze the age and gender of their shoppers, not to identify them, but the BC Information and Privacy Commission says pictures were taken and information was gathered that by law required our consent. The city of White Rock has a plan to help the struggling businesses in and around the waterfront area. They'll be offering free parking along the waterfront starting on Sunday tomorrow and going until the end of January. There'll be a four-hour time limit to park near the shops and restaurants along Marine Drive in White Rock, but it'll be free. Uh, Unfortunately, it's too late for one of the businesses along the White Rock waterfront, Dolce Gelato, that iconic ice cream place on Marine Drive in White Rock. I'm sure you've had ice cream there. It's good. They announced this week they are shutting down after two decades in business. The owner, David Pacifici, says the summer was brutal for business, and now a 25% hike in the rent means Dolce Gelato will be shutting down. He does say they may open up at another location next year. This is Vancouver Consumer on CKNW. I'm Martin Strong, and coming up, we're going to talk real estate in what is a surprisingly red-hot market despite the pandemic. Guiding us through the opportunities out there in the world of real estate, will be John Carlson of 2% Realty, johnnysmartpoint.com. And, you know, one thing about the COVID crisis, it's put a lot of emphasis on our homes. And uh, I guess it's because we're spending so much time at home. And maybe that's one of the reasons why the market in the lower mainland for real estate is so red hot. But uh, that's why we want to talk to an expert. And once again, our expert is John Carlson from 2% Realty, johnnysmartpoint.com. 
Uh, his phone number is 604-612-0080. Thanks for joining us, John. I know you're really, really busy. Yeah, you know, as you mentioned, uh, the market has been very active uh, since about June and July. And uh, September being a banner month, uh, that has carried through. So I have been busy. Mm -hmm. Uh, For the listeners out there, uh, my listing inventory, uh, a lot of them have sold. I'm down to very few. So I'm definitely open to any listeners out there who are thinking of selling and might want to talk to me. But you're right, Martin. The the, the market is is hot. Uh, The COVID situation kind of uh, delayed our spring market, if you will. It killed it, really. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that delayed response has now manifested itself in the late part of the summer and the early part of the fall. And, uh, you know, agents out there that are working tend to be busy, and I'm one of them for sure, yes. Yeah. So September, as we talked about last time we spoke, uh, was a record month. It was up like 60%. We're here on Halloween, the end of October. Uh, Do you expect the same thing? You know, I do. Um, The September market, uh, it was up 60% compared to last year. But year-over-year percentages... You know, you might be comparing to a poor year. I think what's more significant is that September was 40% over the 10-year September average for Greater Vancouver. So, yes, September, we saw a lot of pent-up demand realize itself on the market. And whenever you have a lot of sales happening in one particular month, you can be pretty sure that the market is going to carry on for the following two to three months after that because people that sell, they're like orphans. They don't have a house. They don't have a place to go to until they find their new place sometimes. And uh, so I see this, uh, you know, the ball is going to keep on rolling. Um, And uh, there are buyers out there in virtually all segments and some are hotter than others. But I do anticipate this is going to be one of those years where, you know, I remember maybe 10 years ago doing an offer Christmas Eve. Not that I want to do that, but, uh, (laughs) you know, people that need homes will want to buy a home uh, regardless of the day on the calendar. That seems kind of romantic to me, to, to buy a house on Christmas Eve and it's snowing. I don't know. It seems kind of cool. <laughs> except except for, them, for them, it's a beautiful, life-changing event. For you, you're at work. So. Yeah, I don't recommend that. But I do think that we'll probably stay busy right through the middle of December, the 20th, that sort of thing. And then generally speaking, you know, the market takes a bit of a nap between uh, later December and uh, mid to end of January. Yeah, and you did mention supply. Supply is uh, is is getting kind of tight, so that changes everything. You know, and and you touched on it. Uh, the COVID situation has people, to some degree, rethinking their home situation. Uh, it's interesting. I read an article, and this is the Toronto market, but uh, about the micro suites, the little tiny condos that were all the rage, and the developers were buying them, and the builders were building them, and then suddenly, with the COVID situation, the market for them started to dry up. You know, the students that wanted to be close to town and schools, well, maybe they're studying from home. Uh, People that maybe worked in the city uh, are realizing that they're working from home and they might start thinking, hey, you know, why would I pay a premium price to be close to all of these amenities and venues that might not even be open for the next year or so when I can get a lot more for my money uh, heading a little further out of town and maybe getting a, instead of a condo, maybe a townhouse with my own you know, my own garage and my own door into my house where I don't have elevators and that kind of thing. So as a result, uh, good townhomes are in high demand and the inventories um, in most of the segments are having a little bit of trouble keeping up. The detached housing markets and the real affordable markets, and when I say real affordable, you know, uh, nothing's cheap, of course, but <laughs> it's Vancouver. I'm talking about, yeah, I'm talking about uh, houses in tri-cities, uh, a million one, a million two, a million three, especially if you have a rental accommodation. 
I've been involved in some multiple offers on those lately. Uh, houses in Maple Ridge, even, you know, 900, a million, a million one. Again, multiple offers for the good homes. Uh, it's still a price sensitive market. So homes that maybe are priced higher than a, a buyer might uh, be able to uh, fathom or wrap his head around. Those properties aren't necessarily selling, but the good ones, um, you know, there's not a lot of inventory. The condo market's a little different. The condo market would be the most, uh, uh, would have the, the highest inventory levels relative to sales. But even those sales are up, say, 30% over last year. So again, markets rebounding due to pent up demand from the spring that was frustrated, low interest rates, and an economy that is uh, still moving. And I guess a mistake that a lot of people make uh, in listening to these kind of trends, you were mentioning the little micro suites that uh, allow you to be downtown and they're not as popular now. But I guess a mistake that a lot of people make is they think that these trends last forever. And you've been doing this a long time and you've seen trends come and go. That's right. Uh, you know, none of us have a crystal ball, but I think that uh, for the majority of, of people like you and me who maybe have families, we need a place to live. We're looking at the immediate future uh, as well as an eye to the longer term future. Uh, but people moving today are questioning some of them. Do I need to be as close to my job as I used to be? Maybe not. Do I need to be as close to the school that I'm attending? Um, you know, those sorts of things. So again, they, I've said this many times, the real estate industry is like a living, breathing organism and uh, it, it grows, it contracts, it changes. And uh, right now there is an appetite to buy all kinds of properties in the Fraser Valley and greater Vancouver. Uh, but the, the, the clear stars right now are good, affordable, detached houses and townhomes. So that's great. Considering it's Halloween, it's uh, nice to hear that the real estate market is alive. It's a living organism. It's alive. It's alive. Right. We're talking to John that's Carlson. Uh, John Carlson. It's a bit of a monster as well. <laughs> that's true. It can turn on you. Two uh, percent Realty is uh, the place for John Carlson. JohnnySmartPoint.com. Uh, you mentioned you're doing a lot of uh, renovation to your website, so sometimes the phone is the best way to get a hold of John. Uh, six. 604-612-0080. And John, uh, we were talking about about the market. What about something, this is sort of a bread and butter thing, but commission? Because commissions, uh, as as sort of a, a... a, a viewer of the the market, I'm not exactly sure how commission commissions work in real estate. The commission structure. Explain to us, sort of, uh, really quickly, how commissions work and and how you might be a little different than uh, some other places. And, and thank you for that question because we've been putting out on the show, um, you know, uh, the word that hey, send me an email or give me a call if there's something you want to talk about. And uh, a couple of people have said recently to me. John, let's talk about commission structure because I've heard, you know, on your radio program or I've seen your marketing or, you know, heard through the, the client that referred me to you that your commission structure is a little different than, than most. And I thought, you know, maybe on this program I'd touch on that topic and maybe unpack the, uh, the commission uh, structure kind of uh, uh, situation based on my experience, and and I can give you my opinions and tell you you what I do compared to others. So the first thing I should probably say about commissions, there is no set commission structure in the real estate industry. Uh, The Competition Bureau is very keen to make sure that competition is alive and well. Having said that, um, the vast majority of companies out there and brokerages 
charge a, a commission structure, a commission rate of 7% of the first 100,000 and 2.5% of the balance. Again, there's no set commissions. There are other commissions out there. But I think that if you look at a lot of the uh, companies that you're very familiar with, most of them uh, have a commission structure at 7 and 2.5. And the brokerage, uh, you know, the, the, the owner of the company and the brokerage, we all work under the umbrella of a brokerage. They're the ones that set the commission structure. So if I were to work at company XYZ and they said uh, I might be a brand new agent and they might say, Johnny, you're a brand new guy, you know, just let when, when you go out there, we list at 7% of the first hundred, two and a half percent of the balance. Now, a commission structure collected by a listing brokerage, portion of it is, is kept by the listing brokerage and pays the listing agent. And a, a, a portion of it, roughly half, a little under half. Uh, is typically offered to the buyer's brokerage. So there's two sides of the commission and the seller pays both through the listing agreement. Where I come in a little bit different than some is that I don't charge seven and two and a half. My commission structure, anything over $400,000 uh, sale price is a flat fee of 2% commission. Thus the name of the company and the brokerage. Um, and, and of that we split it out 1% per side. So for instance, if you were working with me on a sale of a $900,000 property, and lots of them out there, higher than that, some lower, of course. But if you look at seven and two and a half, that's a $27,000 commission. And my commission structure would be 18,000. So based on that example, and it's a pretty common example out there, um, you know, I would save people about a third of their commission costs or about $9,000 compared to that seven and two and a half. So this is one of the, uh, one of the reasons that you know, I've come up with the smart point uh, kind of uh, positioning because I think it's a smart commission structure where uh, you're not offering so little that you're maybe creating a, a secondary negotiation that, you know, could overshadow the main negotiation. We're offering out what we think is a pretty fair commission. And uh, the other part of that is that, uh, you know, I'm not cutting corners and I've got a lot of experience and a great track record. So to me, that makes up the smart point, um, a commission structure that's better than the majority out there and a track record of success and sales and that sort of thing. That's also better than the majority of agents that I'm up against when it comes to listing agreements. So in a nutshell, that's my focus is to uh, offer people top, top notch service uh, results, um, provide a great negotiator that will maximize their sale and uh, also hopefully save them some money compared to the other guys they're talking to. And people can go to johnnysmartpoint.com and they can actually put in the numbers and you can see what you can save on a typical property. And that uh, I, I love that idea that, that you can actually see exactly what you're dealing with, which is, which is a good thing. Um, well, but, yeah, and again, we, I'm comparing to seven and two and a half and there are other business models out there. Um, but what I get, the question that I get quite often is, okay, John, you're charging less, fair amount less than the other guy I'm talking to. How do you make a good business out of that? They want to know that they're, you know, they're working with somebody who's going to get the job done. They're wondering, how does that work? And, and really, uh, for me, the volume that I do makes up for it. I'm in a good position where I get a lot of word of mouth referrals and people call me from the radio show when they hear me uh, or they see my sold signs and they kind of think, hey, What's this story? Is this guy going to get the job done and save me money? So people ask, how do you do it? And the answer really is, I don't spend a significant amount of my time going up, trying to drum up business. I am working, uh, you know, constantly. I, before this program, I took a look back to say, hey, what have I been doing lately? And I look back to about uh, June or July. So we're looking at about a four-month period of time, roughly. And uh, 25 listings sold 
And when I look at the average sale uh, commission, you know, my clients are saving significant money. So this is a real thing. Um, again, there are always other options out there and there are companies and commission structures out there that could even be less. But I really like the smart point in terms of getting a top-notch agent and uh, a commission structure that really makes a difference compared to most. And it's like not like somebody charging more can say that they're offering anything different. Well, I want to be careful there because different agents have different ways of, of working. For instance, commercial agents, I'm talking about residential properties, may have different marketing campaigns and different clientele and uh, overseas buyers. There's all kinds of different things. So not all agents do everything the same. But you're right. Um, you know, I the commission structure is not necessarily an indicator of the quality of service and the results that you're going to get. Because keep in mind, as I said earlier, the brokerage, company XYZ, company ABC, they might say, hey, you know, the top agent in the company charges seven and two and a half. Presumably he or she has a very high skill set and uh, a good track record and gets good results. And the brand new agent at the company also charges the same rate because that's what the company dictates. So you want to choose your agent carefully. And I would never suggest that you choose an agent based solely on commission. But then again, there's the smart point where um, I'm doing my best to offer top-notch service and uh, and save people money. John Carlson with 2% Realty. It's right there in the name, 2% Realty, johnnysmartpoint.com. You can talk to John also by phone, 604-612-0080. And John, I'm going to ask you a question. I'm guessing you've been asked a million times in your long, illustrious career. Is it a good time to sell it's always a good time to sell, Martin. No. Um, <laughs> well, that's you know, your job. That question, so. <laughs> I get that question quite a bit. And, uh, you know, part of the answer to that question depends on the personal situation of the person asking the question. When it comes to, say, timing, um, you know, you have to look at the whole picture. What, what is it that you want to accomplish? Right now, uh, people have asked me, you know, people asking me that question, I'm telling them this. The market for detached houses for townhomes and to a lesser degree condos is quite strong. Buyers are out in force, interest rates are low, and people who might have done something in you know March or April or May uh, and put it off are now entering the market and finding, hey, there's not a whole lot of inventory out there. So right now, if you had a house uh, with a basement suite in, uh, you know, in Millardville or some area of Coquitlam that was uh, $1.3 million in a good location, Wow, it's a great time to sell. Uh, last time I wrote an offer last week on a property like that, I think there were four or five offers, meaning there's probably still three or four offer uh, potential offers out there for the next property. So, so that's important, but more important or just as important as the money that you can get from a sale is also following it through to its logical conclusion. If Martin, if you were going to list your house today, and you said, John, I want to sell, and I, you know, get, I want to downsize. Maybe you know, I'm in a big house. I want to downsize into a smaller house and maybe I want a basement suite for, for my parents. Um, I would tell you this, you know, Hey, we can put your house on the market today. We can arrange, you know, viewings and do all the things we do to get the interest and we can get you offers right away. But here's the thing. If you're buying again, let's keep in mind, Christmas is just around the corner and things generally slow down quite a bit in, at Christmas time. Where are you going to be when it comes time to buy your next place? So that is one of the concerns right now. Generally, with offers I'm getting now being, you know, October 31st, 
buyers are looking at two different options just before Christmas, say December 10th, 15th, 18th, something like that, or after Christmas, middle of January and beyond. So one thing that it's important, you know, if you're just selling and you're not buying again, hey, great time to sell. But mm -hmm. if you're in a townhouse in a, you know, you can sell it quickly, but you're looking for a detached house in an affordable range, you want to make sure you've got a lot of time because, um, you know, and, and this is a this is a personal conversation I've had with a number of clients in these last few weeks. We can get you sold. You can get very good money compared to sales just only a couple of months ago. But how many new listings do you think are going to hit the market between December 1st and January 15th? Probably not that many. So uh, there are ways of dealing with this. Um, for instance, I have a client who, you know, we've got a... a they, they had a, a fourth, a third child and they need four bedrooms. So we had their house on the market and we got offers on the property, but we couldn't quite put them together because the dates were quick and the buyers wanted to get in and my guys had nowhere to go and they got three young kids and that's just not going to happen. But after a couple of, you know, tries that didn't go together, we managed to get a buyer who was living with family. They were flexible and they agreed for mid-January dates. But my sellers, we negotiated in that sale contract that my sellers with 30 days notice to the buyer can extend the completion possession dates to the middle of February. And then again, with another 30 days notice to the middle of March. So what we basically did was negotiate ourselves some time to make sure that we had a lot of time to find the right property for them. So again, money is really important when you're selling a home because if you're buying again, I mean, it's expensive to live here. You need that money. But the timing and the coordination of, uh, you know, your sale and making a smooth purchase is one of the tricky components right now with Christmas kind of being this uh, giant in the room that's coming up and the market's going to, you know, slow down at that time. Uh, so, again, timing is, is, is really important. If you want to sell right now, you can sell. If you want to sell and purchase again, unless you have a backup plan, maybe a family to stay with or a rental, those things can be valuable in the right situations. But if you want to make a smooth transition from one place to another, you want to be thinking about timing as well as the money. And I guess that's where a good real estate agent comes in because uh, you can use the power of the buyer's market, the fact that uh, that people really want to buy your home to to negotiate those uh, conditions, like you say, to, to have a few extra months to find a place. Because I know uh, I've been in my house for a very long time and the idea of moving is is quite terrifying because uh, how do you find the place that's perfect so do you have any um, advice for people who maybe don't have their house up for sale I mean should people start looking around before they put their house up for sale you know the way I usually handle that is I say there's there's two pots and we got to be stirring both of them <laughs> um, if you want to be on the market uh, some people, they're looking for their next spot and they come to me and they say, Hey John, Hey, we're in a, we're in a really nice townhouse. Will it be any problem selling? And I say, no, here, you know, here's likely where you're likely to be financially. And chances are you can sell it within a week. Um, but on the other hand, of course, where are you going to go? So why don't we do this? And they come to me and they say, well, what if we do a subject to sale offer? And, uh, you know, sometimes I do that for clients because you just never know. But often in a, in a market like this, you go up against three or four other offers and you're not even considered because you're subject to sale. So again, I like the idea of stirring both of those pots. Yes, <laughs> that, that's yeah. the first time. I've See, that you're, to you're busy. You're busy. <laughs> so you're stirring both of them. Yeah. I'm busy. Yeah. See, that's what happens so when you stir both pots. Your phone is going off all the time. And that's what I rely on. So, <laughs> but here's what I here's how I would answer your question. 
let's make sure your place is ready to go. I'll do a walkthrough. I'll give you my appraisal. I'll give you some ideas of what you might want to do to get ready. I've even got one client now where we've done the photos. We've done the 3D tours. We're ready to hit that market on a second's notice when we find the right property. And we're going out and we're looking at other homes uh, as well. There's sometimes financing options that some people have. Some people say, hey, you know, I'm in a good equity position. I can buy before I sell. There are risks associated with that potentially. So I talk to sellers about that. But really, for your average kind of young family looking to buy or sell and, and repurchase, um, you know, you want to be paying attention to the listings on the market so you know what you're jumping into as a buyer in a certain segment in a certain area. And you want to know what you're going to reasonably expect in terms of a sale. And then you have a decision to make. There's there's no silver bullet. There's no magic bullet. There are pros and cons. If you write an offer subject to sale and you're successful, well, you might get your heart broken because somebody else might come along and buy it before you're able to sell. On the other hand, if you sell first and you give yourself some time to look around, you're under the gun to some degree because there is you know, an end date where you're going to be out of your house. So this, these are the conversations I have with potential sellers uh, to try to help them come up with a plan that will satisfy them. And, you know, I'm, I'm pretty proud of the fact that I don't have clients living on the street. Uh, <laughs> if anything, you know, we exercise an abundance of caution and make sure that they're prepared. But um, at some point, you have to jump into that market when it's hot like this. When we bought our house years ago, it was the opposite situation. There was a half a duplex in kits that we wanted to buy, and we, but we just couldn't sell our old condo. And so we were trying to sell it, trying to sell it, and then the house got bought out from under us and we were heartbroken but uh, you know as it turns out we got the house we're in now and we're very happy about it but it is it's a it's a tough thing john carlson is our guest from two percent realty johnnysmartpoint.com uh, you can give him a call at 604-612-0080 info at johnnysmartpoint.com is john's email and uh, t- talking about uh, getting your place ready to sell it, um, are there sort of some simple guidelines that you tell people uh, when they're starting to think about selling their home? What's the first thing they should do? Well, I guess they should call me. I mean, <laughs> come on, you set me up for that one. I couldn't let that go past. I'm assuming uh, they've called you already. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, yes. When I meet with people, that's one of their big questions. Hey, John, what should we do? to help maximize the sale and optimize the sale. So, you know, part of that is is staging and, you know, making sure, you know, there's a lot of simple things that you can do. Make sure all your light bulbs work. Make sure your door handles are not screwy. Uh, eliminate what I call deficiencies, like uh, bad smells or uh, tears and stains or burn marks, uh, leaks, heaven forbid, water problems. You got to take care of all those things because buyers tend to see homes with deficiencies in a negative light and buyers tend to be careful and they tend to overestimate the cost of rectifying these things. So uh, not to mention that if you have deficiencies that are not patently obvious, you have to disclose those anyways, or you should disclose those things. So one of the first things I look for when I go through a property with people and they're asking me, hey, what should I do? Is to look for deficiencies or obstacles to the sale. And sometimes, you know, I'll recommend they talk to maybe a painter or uh, maybe a plumber to fix a leak. Uh, you know, maybe if you've got an older house, you want to make sure there's no oil tanks on the property because that can be a real bugaboo if it if it comes back to bite you. Um, so part of my job is to see the home from all angles. I want to look at all the benefits of it so I understand those benefits because that gives me the ability 
to promote the benefits and have the listing appear in its best light and attract the proper buyers. But I also want to look on the other side of that coin and say, okay, what is going to stand out to a buyer as a negative? And can we do anything about that? Sometimes you can't. Railway tracks, uh, busy highways, uh, you know, some things you cannot do anything about. So my philosophy is you polish the apple you have. You don't try to make it something else. I've had people say, you know, hey, our carpet's five years old. Should I replace it with laminate floors? My cabinets are dark brown. White is in style. Should I replace them? And usually the answer to that question is no, because, you know, what's that old saying? You, uh, you never try to be the answer to someone's prayers until you know what they're praying for. You know, you <laughs> might not, there might not be a problem. You might be trying to solve a problem that doesn't exist. And really right now, affordability is important in the market. So why spend a dollar on your home unless you're going to get a dollar or more back or solve a problem? So deficiencies need to be rectified. Leaks, you know, all these things I've covered. Try to solve those things first, but be careful not to go too far into the territory of, of guessing what somebody somebody else might want. Right. And you talk about the, the advantages of a home, say it's close to uh, a school or something. Um, these kind of things that people are looking for, are they changing all the time? What's sort of the number one thing that people want now when they, they say, is it close to a school or, or what, are, what are those things? If I had to pick number one, I would say affordability. Pricing property is the number one thing that people want. And there's an old saying in, in sales that pricing solves all problems. Now, that doesn't mean you drop your price and give your house away. I'm, I'm not suggesting that. But um, pricing property is important. But to do that, you have to know what strengths you bring to the table. And, you know, people, some of them want to be close to schools. Uh, some people want to have a gigantic yard. Some people want to have a low maintenance yard. Some people want no yard. Um, there's all kinds of different, you know, beauties in the eye of the beholder. And you don't have to sell your property to everybody. You only have to sell it to one person. And so for me to do an evaluation, I, I, I ask for the sellers for help. Tell me, why'd you buy the house? What do you like about the house? What are the best benefits? Help me understand this so I can give you good advice. Oftentimes I know a lot of them already, but sometimes I don't. And if I can understand and together me and the sellers can kind of come up with a, a way to put the listing on MLS and have it look good. We need good photos. We want it looking great. And, and we do that. We want it 3D mapped out so people can experience it. But we want to lead with our strengths because when you lead with your strengths, you promote the home and people, We tr I try to get the, the, the people on the other end of the MLS to see the property the way I want them to see it. And if we lead with our strengths, we're going to identify the people that appreciate those strengths and we're going to attract the right kind of buyers. And then, of course, if we're priced reasonably so that people come and they say, yeah, you know, compared to our other options, this looks pretty good. Then that's when you have, you know, a winning listing where you're appealing to the right crowd. And when that crowd comes to see the property, they make a value decision. They, they judge it. They make a value judgment. Does it suit me? Do I think the price is right? And given the climate of the market that I'm in, does it make any sense for me to make an offer on this property at that time? So there's a lot of factors that go into it. But yes, you want to have your property looking and sounding as good as possible. You want an MLS. That's where the action is. You want it positioned properly and you want to lead with your strengths and, you know, frame that discussion, if you will, the way you want people to see that home. So when they come in, maybe they're already halfway sold. Well, John Carlson, thank you so much. John Carlson, 2% Realty, johnnysmartpoint.com. You can get a hold of uh, John at 604-612-0080. Well, John, have a great Halloween. Yes, you too, and I'll see you in a couple weeks. You will. John Carlson. It's Vancouver Consumer, and when we come back, it's Ask Andrew uh, how to make your Halloween extra weird. That's next.
Welcome back. It's Vancouver Consumer. I'm Martin Strong, a special Halloween edition of Vancouver Consumer. And it's time now for Ask Andrew, our very scary uh, producer of Vancouver Consumer, Andrew Ferreira. And uh, I guess the big question is, what's it going to be like tonight? How many kids are going to be out there? How many people are handing out candy? And how many people are going to have big house parties? Are you, are you no, doing anything No, no parties. Like that? No, no fun. No fun allowed. No Very bad. Fun no allowed fun. this Halloween. No, no, please do have fun. Uh, but parties are a no-no unless, it, you, you know, you're with your kids or something or, you know, something within your, within your very small bubble. You can have yourselves a little party. That's okay. You can have, you can have some pie. Maybe you can have, uh, <laughs> I don't know what's a what's a what's a what's a what's a fashionable uh, uh, Halloween candy nowadays? Uh, fashionable Halloween candy. Yeah, what's cool? What's hip with the kids? I don't know. I I mean, I just like go full with size the, candy bars. Yeah, full <laughs> size candy bars, like my neighbor. Oh, um, uh, you got us, competition. Makes us all look bad. But the little fun size chocolate bars, like a little like a Twix or something. Yeah, so you can have that, you know. But uh, you know, parties are you know a no go. Bobbing for apples, right out. I, I'm do sure. not do not bob for apples. Do people still bob for apples? I, I I think they did in the 1850s. Okay, and it just sort of people talked about it since then. But uh, in in the COVID days, I don't recommend no, it. No, do not bob for apples. Uh, Airbnbs. If you're like me, you remember wilder times when you may have rented out an Airbnb for a party. Uh, Airbnb in October earlier in October said no, that's not happening. So there are no Airbnb Halloween parties. Really? There are none. There, there are, and of course, there are always going to be people who will try and get around it by booking, you know, a long stay. Because what they've done is they've said you can't book one or two nights because that's usually the party window. So I imagine there's probably going to be some very reckless individuals out there who are who've gotten around this by spending a lot of money on an Airbnb for like six days, only to have a party in it. And I just hope that everyone is is healthy and safe at that if if that's happening. Yeah, and then- but don't. Just don't take this as, you know, a first in what you've probably heard of in many uh, Halloween PSAs. Just don't take the risk. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not worth it. You know, there's always going to be, uh, you know, the day after, you know, you know, you know, you know tomorrow I'm going to be heading down to the London Drugs and picking up discount candy. Yeah. You know that. That's still going to be there. You can still enjoy that part of your life. <laughs> That's part of Do your... it safely. See, there you go. Everyone has their own Halloween traditions, and it's you scarfing up discount candy. Well, who doesn't? I mean, it's, 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 it's genius. <laughs> do you have a, a go-to costume? Martin? A go-to costume? No, I do not. Um, uh, it's, it's usually run of, it's usually uh, in the moment, somebody in the news or something, <laughs> but, uh, I haven't dressed up in a while, so I can't really remember. Well, you've still got a few hours, Martin. Yeah, that's true. You should, uh, you should, uh, you should, you should rustle something up. It'd be I, nice. sh- I should, I usually do something really simple, like a, just a stupid hat and then say I'm something, <laughs> but I don't know, but it, you know, it's, it's Halloween and, uh, thanks Andrew. I appreciate it's that. It's 2020. The year is horrible enough. Let's try and brighten it up a bit before it all closes out and we enter. Who knows what's going to happen in 2021? <laughs> we'll have fun. It's just starting to heat up just oh, as we speak. <laughs> it's Vancouver Consumer. And when we come back, we're going to talk to Angela Calla. She is the mortgage expert. She wrote the book. She actually has a book uh, about mortgages. And uh, she can save you a ton of money. That's when Vancouver Consumer continues on CKNW. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.